welcome to the Already All Around podcast, the conversation where we wade through the struggle of life to see possibilities that abound. I'm your host, Meredith Gudger Rains, and on today's inaugural episode, I'll reflect on my experience of going to Seattle Pride. I'll also give out our first ever goodness and love award, so keep listening for that. Uh, this award comes with no monetary prize or notoriety or really anything, but still, it's nice to give out awards. It's good to be here, friends. Welcome to the conversation. Oh, well, friends, I don't always want to talk about being a pastor or about church or about all that theology stuff on this podcast, because I think talking about those things is often a barrier to conversation and community. But the fact is, I am a pastor. That is my full-time work. And so it's not really escapable all the time. <laughs> and this week's reflection is directly related to my life as a minister. So that's going to come up. On Saturday, June 25th, I got to walk in Seattle's Pride Parade. It was my first time going to Seattle Pride, and it was a great experience. And I have thoughts. <laughs> I am the pastor of a reconciling United Methodist Church. That means in our church, members of the LGBTQ plus community are included just as they are in full. Just like everyone else in our church, LGBTQ plus folks are welcomed to be baptized, to be members, to hold all leadership positions. We believe that God loves diversity, and that applies to sexual orientation, gender identity, family composition, a thousand other things. When people find us, they almost always have experienced deep harm from previous churches, and it breaks my heart and makes me so mad the way so many have turned a faith of love into a faith of control and exclusion and hate. So yesterday, we joined with several other United Methodist churches around the Seattle area to march in the Pride Parade. I have been really looking forward to this. As a pastor, I spend the vast majority of my waking hours thinking about God, theology, church, spirituality, all that stuff. So I end up collecting a lot of stories about religion and people's relationships with it. I feel like I'm one of those microfiber towel duster things that just collects dust. It's like these stories just like come out of nowhere and stick to me. <laughs> and in the last couple of weeks, I have had some really horrific stories of toxic religion find their way to me and stick to me and I was having a hard time shaking them. One of these stories was like an acquaintance who, um, after years and years of suffering through an abusive marriage, finally left. She has found freedom, she's found herself, but now her 23-year-old son will not speak to her because he blames her and he's using toxic theology to do it. He says that God's law is that marriage is forever, and the one who leaves is destroying God's will, and it's better to stay and pray for her ex-husband to change. And I'm sorry for giving that viewpoint any airtime. 
The son won't let his mother come to his wedding. And so the mom is both grieving the loss and also worried for her daughter-in-law and what kind of marriage she will have. When I say that I want to be honest about what life is like, this is what I mean. There are so many women for whom marriage is not a gift and a joy, but is actually a trap, a means of control and really the opposite of love. It makes me mad and breaks my heart. (laughs) Anyway, last week, I also watched Shiny Happy People on Amazon, that documentary about the religious cult that inspired the Duggar family to have 19 kids and then TLC made that reality show about them. Listen, this documentary was terrifying and awful and exactly what you think it is. And just don't watch it. Don't do that to yourself. You don't need to, you don't need to drink that one. And I did it for you. Take my word for it. Watch more reruns of Cheers or something. If you want to know what real grooming is, please do not look to drag queens. Look to these kinds of religious cult leaders. This documentary brought me down for a whole week. And honestly, it made me wonder if all religious people everywhere shouldn't just pack it in because the potential for harm is just so great and so awful. And guys, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Oh, there were a couple other Facebook posts last week, memes and blog posts and lists of things churches get wrong, which are really evangelical churches. But anyway, by the end of the week, I was in a funk and desperately in need of a community of love. So this is why I was looking forward to pride. I wanted to be immersed in a community where love is the rule, where everyone stands up for everyone else to be fully themselves, and where there is joy and celebration. Here's one thing I've learned through my two decades of pastoral leadership. The people that everyone thinks have the answers to life's problems don't. In our world, we think the rich, powerful, perfect looking, beautiful people must know something everyone else doesn't. I think that's why we became fixated on five millionaires lost at the bottom of the sea last week, and we all had such empathy for them. But then we look at a raft of hundreds of refugees risking everything for a better life. And if we feel anything, it's pity. We think those millionaires must know something we don't since they've been so successful. They must be so smart and wise and earned everything that they've got. We think those refugees don't know what we know, that they must have made some wrong turns that they probably deserve whatever they get because they just haven't made the right choices in life. And maybe if we don't think that about refugees, maybe that's what we think about when we look at people on the street corner asking for spare change. Now, all of this is just completely backwards. I'm not going to pass any judgment on those folks who tragically lost their lives in the Titanic submarine expedition. I don't know them. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they spent their lives doing. I am confident in saying, though, that among the thousands of refugees who make their way across oceans to new lands, there are many who have deep wisdom about what it means to be brave, to face hard truths, to make decisions and live with them no matter the cost, to make sacrifices that lead to love and joy. I can say this because I've known some refugees. 
and they know about life. They know about human nature, about selfishness and selflessness. They know about the dynamics of fear that lead to protection of the self and hatred of the neighbor. They know about hope and hopelessness. Anyway, what am I talking about here? This is one of the mini bunny trails I'm prone to go down. Anyway, my point is that people we tend to look down on are actually the people we really ought to admire. They have hard earned characteristics that we all desire. Wisdom, self-knowledge, tenacity, a gentleness and understanding, determination, honesty, hope. The people we look down on are often very good people. And that has been my experience with the LGBTQ community. Everyone, every one in that community has necessarily been through a journey of honesty, self-knowledge, sacrifice, and bravery. They have had to decide to be themselves at the risk of anything and everything else, including the loss of love from those who are supposed to love unconditionally. Many times they have been through trauma, often at the hands of people who wear the same titles I do, Christian pastor or mom. So while there are way too many Christians who look at the gay or transgender communities and see dangerous heathens, I look at them and see people who are exemplary examples of the kind of love that Jesus gave his life to teach about. They understand unconditional love and community. So after a week where it felt like toxic religion was all around, I was looking forward to being surrounded by a huge community of genuine love. That is what I expected to find. And it was there with bells on. Here is one weird, unexpected way that I personally felt this unconditional love. There were so many different bodies there and every single one of them was celebrated. It was about halfway through the day and I realized that there wasn't like one desirable body type that everyone tried to emulate. There wasn't like one ideal that everyone tried to be. And if you couldn't be it, then you'd have negative feelings about yourself in direct proportion to how far away from that desired body type you were. <laughs> Does this sound familiar to anyone else, right? No one there put any stock in traditional beauty standards. Traditional beauty standards were meaningless. Beauty is being yourself. I physically felt that at Pride because of the way people celebrated who they were, of all the ways they dressed up or dressed down, the colors they wore, the sparkle, the paint, the makeup. It was awesome. And I felt that every body was celebrated. And so about halfway through the day, I realized that I stopped being conscious about my stomach. <laughs> so like many folks, I gained some weight through the stress of COVID. And if I'm honest, it's on my mind pretty much constantly. 
I'm always thinking about that stomach. Oh my gosh, is this too big for that shirt? Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Halfway through the afternoon at Pride, I actually let it go. Who cares? No one around me did. No one was looking at me and thinking, oh, is that girl's tummy too big for her shirt? No, that's not a thing. So why should I spend time feeling bad at all that I didn't fit some standard that doesn't exist? It was freeing. Here's the other thing I wasn't entirely prepared for, though, and this one was not freeing. I'm ashamed to admit that I wasn't prepared for this because I should have been. This is not false humility. It was arrogant of me not to expect this. I realized I was really centering myself and what I wanted from pride. And I was not the center. <laughs> I was not meant to be on center stage there. So I should have expected this. But here's the thing I learned. Not everyone was happy to see us. I was wearing my clergy collar, a black shirt with a stiff white collar that goes all the way around my neck. Usually when I wear my clergy collar, it gives me a sense of confidence, of purpose, of calling and identity, because I still work in a profession that is vastly dominated by men. In fact, just two weeks ago, the Southern Baptist Church kicked out their last two churches that still had female pastors. What? Anyway, usually that clergy collar for me is a, a little sign of uh, subversiveness and authority and uh, confidence. I was also wearing my stole, a symbol of the yoke of sacrifice and service that ordained ministers wear in my denomination. I was wearing a rainbow necklace and a rainbow colored tutu because I really did want to celebrate and be joyful. I was walking with about 60 other United Methodists who were all wearing pride t-shirts and were carrying huge homemade signs that said pride and faith. We had a banner at the front telling people we were from the United Methodist churches around Seattle. Now, first of all, we are inclusive church people, but we are still church people. So we're naturally a little uh, boring, <laughs> especially when you plunk us down in the middle of a pride parade with our sun hats and our sensible shoes and our tote bags full of sunscreen and snacks. Well, we just look like church ladies. <laughs> The entries around us were blasting this great music and wearing all the colors and tight clothes and sequins and dancing and pumping up the crowd. Guys, we literally came with homemade cookies. We showed up to Pride with homemade cookies. That's what we came to Pride with. We are church ladies. It was a pretty easy game of circle the one that doesn't belong. So we stood out. And it was easy to see that some more than a few in the crowd were not happy to see us coming. Sometimes we got polite applause. Sometimes we got polite lack of applause. I realized pretty quickly that this pride parade and festival was their safe space. And while they had opened it to us very graciously, seeing church people in their safe space was probably not something everyone wanted. I know many have been harmed by the church. I know it because so many of them have sat in my office and told me stories of what they have lived through at other churches. And after they have left, I have wept angry tears. 
I know the stories they hold, that they have overcome. And I know that seeing me in my clergy collar, walking down the street amidst all the joy, brought up those feelings of pain, anger, and injustice. I was not prepared for my presence to be painful. Yes, of course, there were many who saw us and cheered, those who saw us and put their hands on their hearts or reached for a sticker, those who saw a clergy woman wearing a collar and gave me a fist pump. But it was not crowds of people. No one was falling all over themselves thanking us for coming. I reflected on all this afterward with a colleague who walked with us and who happens to be part of the queer community. She thanked me for coming and wearing my collar, and she was wearing hers. I was surprised to hear her say that, because I told her, I think seeing me was a source of pain for many. She said, oh, undoubtedly, but for many others, it may have been healing. She was so gracious to welcome me. She knows what she's talking about, and I trust her. Our church has three rules, going back 250 years to our founder, John Wesley. Three rules, just three rules. Number one, do no harm. Number two, do all the good you can. Number three, take care of your love for God. We are all very aware that the first rule is do no harm. And we talk about that a lot. Did I do harm by showing up at the pride parade? I think that for some, I did. Should I have let them have their safe space? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, then again, about a third of those who were walking with us in our Methodist posse were also members of the queer community. They had every right to be there and they welcomed me. And for the love of God, someone has to tell all these toxic, wrong, harmful other Christian churches and leaders to just stop talking already. Stop causing so much harm. How can we overcome their hate by staying silent and staying away? I don't have any answers for these questions. For this time when one value, do no harm, is in conflict with another value, do all the good you can. All I know is that next time I will be prepared to be far more humble and grateful to be welcomed in as a guest to such a holy space. One more memory from Pride will stay with me for a long time. Oh, sorry, I'm going to try to get through this. <laughs> After the parade, there was a concert at the festival at the Seattle Center. A drag queen was performing and calling out, where are my lesbians? And hands and flags and cheers would go up. Where are my trans people? I don't know if she said trans people. I don't remember what she said. But, you know, again, hands and flags and cheers. Every time she called out one of those letters or one of those flags, a roar would come up from the crowd. Where's my bi siblings? Hands, flags, cheers. She said, don't ever let anyone tell you you aren't a real queer and that you don't belong because you do. And the crowd roared. As I was witnessing this, I was standing by a booth that was selling 
all the different kinds of pride flags. And I had no idea how many there were. A young person from our church who came with us told me, I think they said there were like 50. <laughs> anyway, I watched as one by one, people got the flag that represented them. They ripped open the packaging and donned it like a cape. They were claiming their identity, finding their place in the community and being welcomed in joy. It was every bit as holy as baptism. Thank God for these safe spaces. Thank God for all those who have risked everything to make a place of belonging for them and for so, so many. Thank God for the love of pride. How do we look for the good without being hopelessly naive or full of toxic positivity? Yes, there is so much goodness and love in the world. And also there is so much meanness and hatred and struggle. We really need to be honest about all of it. We can't counterbalance, say, racism with happy slappy platitudes like, Sometimes all it takes is a smile. I'm sorry, but if the pain we encounter in the world is playing in the major leagues, then the goodness and love needs to be major league too. So every week I'll be looking for times of genuine, transcendent, small glimpses of the deep power of love and goodness. And when I find them, ta-da! That person wins that week's Goodness and Love Award. Note, this award comes with nothing, no money, no acceptance speech, no trophy, not even a Michael Scott Certificate of Ownership piece of paper. All you get is my recognition and the appreciation of a grateful people. So our very first ever Goodness and Love Award goes to guy whose name I don't know I saw on my walking trail. There is a walking trail at the end of my street that runs about two miles across several neighborhoods. It's not fancy. This is not one of these things that realtors are going to put in the description of the houses they're trying to sell. This is not like a, oh, it's adjacent to a network of trails. No, this is like a glorified sidewalk. It goes by backyards and streets and a middle school. Uh, but I walk on it almost every day and I end up seeing a lot of the same regulars. Last week, I was out walking and I saw someone I hadn't seen before. I passed him on my way out and we nodded and smiled. I am determined to nod and smile at every person I see on the trail, even after I've just made fun of people who say, sometimes it all it takes is a smile. But I live in the Pacific Northwest and we're not exactly known for our friendliness. I don't know why everybody's really lovely people. I think everyone's just shy. Anyway, I'm trying to change that. So we nodded at each other on my way out. And then I saw him again on my way home. He was an older Hispanic man, and he was a little hunched over and walking stiffly and a little bow legged. 
He was using two walking sticks, and he was going slowly, but he was determined. As he saw me, he said, muy bien, and pumped his arms fast to indicate walking, you know, like exercise. And I said, yes, you too, in English, because I don't speak Spanish, but it was my instinct to reply to someone who had spoken to me, and so I just spoke with the language I had. I walked away feeling pumped up because we acknowledged it's hard to make physical health a priority. It's hard to get out there and get your walk, especially when maybe it's not the easiest thing in the world. And clearly we were both doing a good job that day, getting our walks in, and we acknowledged it. And then I realized that yes, we had communicated to each other, but we'd spoken different languages. When he wanted to reach out and share something, he used the language available to him and I did the same and we understood each other. I mean, granted, it's not like we were negotiating complex high stakes issues, so we couldn't have communicated very long without running into a barrier. This was one of the shortest conversations on record, probably five or six words total, but we were able to acknowledge and, and encourage each other, even in different languages. And the effect was real. I appreciate when someone tells me I'm doing a good job. I will take every girl I can get. Community and belonging are some of my core values. And this exchange between Mui Bien Man and me made me feel like it is possible to create a sense of belonging and togetherness, even when we're different. Here's a middle-aged white lady and an older Hispanic man who both did the hard human work of getting in a good walk, and we were able to celebrate it together. So Mui Bien Man, thank you for making me see that we are part of the same community together. This week's Goodness and Love Award goes to you. I hope I see you again so that I can shout to you, Mui Bien. So friends, who in your life is showing you the deep power of love? Maybe it's someone you love with all your heart. Maybe it's someone like Mui Bien Man that you don't even know their name. Please let me know so we can give them a goodness and love award. Lift someone up around you because when you do, you'll lift up all of us. You can email me at alreadyallaround at gmail.com. And remember, already is one word. It's already a word. So it only gets one L, right? It's not A-L-L ready. It's A-L ready. You get it, right? You get it. We've all been to sixth grade. I'll get in touch. I can't wait to hear about your story of someone showing the power of love. Friends, thank you so much for sharing this time with me and for listening to my first ever podcast episode. I hope it hasn't been a waste of time. <laughs> I hope this time has been helpful to you and I hope it inspires you to look for the powerful forces of good amongst all the muck we walk through every day. It's there. And when we share it with each other, it makes it so much easier to see that goodness and love are already all around. Take good care, and I'll talk with you next time. Mm -hmm.